Welcome to Educate to Elevate, the Home Educators Hub, the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock the full potential of home education. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. This is now January 2024, and we're really excited to be back. It seems like it's been a long time, but it really hasn't. It's just been a few days. Um, But a new year just brings new, exciting things to be looking forward to. And that's no different here at Home Educator Institute. We just have so many things that we want to share with you, conversations we want to have, and are excited to have this first podcast of the year to go start going in deeper into our zone of expertise, which is teaching and teaching methodologies and starting to get into those conversations that will hopefully guide parents, guide you as moms in how to do this home educating thing better for your students, for your kids, how you can make sure that deep learning is taking place and that you're not wasting a lot of time and energy and effort in doing things or filling your calendars with things that might not be that effective. We really don't have time to lose, right? As parents in the 21st century, we're so busy. There's so many things going on. And I'm always thinking about how can I make my day or my life more productive and not waste so much time on things that are really not giving me the results that I want. And if I continue doing the same thing over and over again, it's it's not going to change anything. So hopefully these new conversations on the podcast are going to help you take those those um, ideas and flow with them, create something for your children that will really uh, build on just going deep in the roots of their deep learning and in their love of learning as well. And I think that's our major uh, purpose and goal here at Home Educator Institute is that we love learning. As teachers, we love learning. We love teaching, but I think we love learning more. And we want your children to love learning. That was one of my goals as I raised my own children was observing and being careful on what made them tick, what made them really want to dig deeper into a subject or learn more about something. And I wanted to provide as much as that as possible because I was, I had the strength of being a learner and I wanted them to develop it as well. So I, my hope, um, Carmen, is that with these conversations that we have the opportunity to talk with more moms about what's working with their kids, um, start sharing with other parents on, you know, what, how are you applying these methodologies that have been around for quite some time? I don't think any of the things that we're going to talk about are things that suddenly appeared yesterday, right? Education has been around for centuries now, public education, more than 100 years. And there's been a lot of building on what was already working, 
So I never believe that things should be discarded just because one more thing or trend has popped up. I've always been about keeping the foundation, keeping what has worked up till today, strengthening that foundation, and then building on that as new things and new discoveries happen. But sometimes in some generations, it was about away with the old, in with the new. And I'm hoping that in this uh, season, in this time of incredible change in the education platform or scenario that we're living right now, um, that we take care of that, that we bring back those time-tested things that have worked forever, like the love of reading, right? <laughs> it's like, um, And so I'm hoping that these conversations will lead us to discovering what are the things that we need to keep and what are the things that we need to bring in and adopt and learn how to do different? Because home education, and I'm talking about both sides of home education, the academic schooling part and the raising of our children, both are home education, um, have had you know different seasons and especially homeschooling was about trying to bring back the traditional, the, you know, staying protected and building um, those sort of fences and boundaries around what we wanted our children to learn. So a lot of families were making this decision about um, how can we keep it super traditional and build on this for our children uh, at home and protect them from all of the, you know, weird things or new ideas or things that are happening in outside of home education. And I just want to emphasize today that we can actually do both and that it's important that we understand why we need to do both. We can protect our children from the things that we don't want them exposed to, and that's good. But that doesn't mean we have to close the door to everything. And understanding the science around learning is one of those things that I believe parents that have chosen to homeschool need to be open about. They need to be open about learning what the science says about education, about retention, about learning, and not just, you know, kind of make things up as they go along. I think it's really important that as we move forward in these, in this podcast in particular, that parents can be open to learning more about learning theory, the science of learning, the neuroscientific, uh, experiences and results that have come out of so much research. And it's important to understand that technology has opened the door for deeper and further exploration into the learning process. And that we need to be aware of what the brain is showing us that it needs to be able to learn properly. Right. And so I want to invite everybody to be open 
to learn about these theories, to be open to apply them in whatever way best fits your family, but just to have that open mind and spirit to say, I need to learn more so that I can do this better. So what do you think about that, Carmen? Well, when you were talking about learning, you know, learning methodologies and especially keeping up with what science is showing us about the brain, you know, I just thought that's exactly right on. We're about to dive into um, some pretty nerdy educator speak stuff. I'm just going to forewarn everyone. I am going to nerd out. I am going to control myself as best I can not to do an ultra spicy, um, you know, neuro spicy info dump. Yeah. <laughs> do my best <laughs> to make it relatable, but mm-hmm. we are in my wheelhouse right now. Yeah. And um, I'll touch on it later, but research, the research of all research, around what makes for effective teaching shows that knowledge of subject matter, knowledge of a specific subject matter doesn't really make a difference. Mm. What makes a difference is the teacher's skill, right? And leveraging Mm -hmm. a positive relationship with the student and having a deep understanding of these teaching strategies and methodologies that work. And guess what? As a parent, you can learn to do this. You already have the relationship with your child. Um, you know, especially if you choose to be a home educator, you're going to have extended time to even nurture that relationship further. And that's a huge key. Mm. And so when you learn about the methodologies and the science, you you basically can gather the resources you need and you can. You are very capable of being a good teacher for your child or at least realizing, wow, I'm trying my best to teach algebra. I'm not cutting it. Uh, yeah. Now I need help, you know? Right. Yes. I love that because it really is about that. It's about realizing what our own skill set is, what our strengths are as parents, as teachers, and to be able to form these communities to find that help when we need it, to be humble enough to say, I am not an expert in everything, but If I understand how a child's brain works, if I understand how it gets to those points of uh, deep learning and retention of the information that I'm giving them, because I think that's the biggest frustration for any teacher is to have taught a lesson and then ask the questions and the kids are staring at you like uh, complete blank, right? Like, I I have no idea what you just said. Um, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than that is realizing, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I communicated what I needed to communicate. And for some reason, the kids are just not getting it. And 
obviously there's subjects that are harder than others, but it just really depends on the child's strengths. I mean, there is going to be, there are going to be children that are going to do amazing in math and horrible in history. And, and the history bluff like me is going to say, how is that? Why would that ever happen? History is so easy, uh, you know, and I would have the trouble with math, right? So it's about observing your children as well. So it's taken the information that we're going to give you today, and we're going to talk about what we or what's learned in the education world as the education or learning pyramid. But it's really about what children need to be able to retain the information you're trying to teach them and the those goals that you're trying to reach. And um, so they've studied uh, retention of information and what the brain needs, what are the synapses that have to happen in the brain and what are the, what does the brain need to be exposed to, to be able to make those connections and have those connections stick. Because one thing is for it to come in and another thing is to be able to get out. Because you want to be able to communicate what you are learning. So most of our learning in life is about sharing with others and building community with others around what we know. Learning how to walk, learning how to talk, learning how to read, learning you know, how to cook. All of these things are really about being able to interact with the world that we're living in. Most learning is not just to kind of keep it to yourself and just inflate your brain. Um, it's about being able to act on or upon what you are learning. And so the research has, and, and the pyramid was built by many years of research and many, many different studies. I'm not going to go into all of them, but Finally, all of the pieces, somebody said, let's put all of these pieces together and let's put it into an infograph that will allow us to visualize where we need to spend our, how much of our time we need to spend on each part of the learning process so that those things begin to stick, right? And so it, if you also, if you see the pyramid and, and I hope some of you will go out and Google it and, and, you know, get a copy of it, put a picture of it in your mind so that you can see it. But if you see the pyramid, you'll also identify things that um, sort of started with that history of teaching. And so when we start the pyramid, uh, and, and I really like to see it upside down. I like to see it upside down so that the lower numbers in the bottom. Um, I'm very quickly going to read all seven steps, and then we can kind of deconstruct each of them. But basically, step the first step is lecture. So this is hearing somebody teach something to me. The second step is reading about it. The third step is actually visualizing or um, being able to use my eyes to see what it looks like. Um, 
the fourth step is demonstration. So I'm actually seeing somebody do it. And so I, I kind of get an idea. So b- way back when, when there wasn't those labs where kids could actually do the work, the teacher would stand at the front of the class and do the experiment so that everybody could see it. That's a demonstration, right? Um, then step the next step, step five, uh, is group discussion. So it's talking about what, what we've learned. Then comes practice. That means putting hands to the test, actually doing it myself. And then the last one is teaching or communicating on what I have learned. And so if we study each of these in the pyramid, it tells us how much of the information our brain has retained if we only do one of these things uh, and not accumulate. So the idea is to plan your lessons, stacking all of these things together so that by the end of the lesson, you've had a little bit of each one, of each interaction that your child needs to be able to retain the information. So if you only lecture them on the subject, if you only do the teaching without showing them anything, without reading, without anything, just giving the lesson, they'll probably retain about 5% of what you're teaching. If you also ask them to read about the subject and do a little bit of research about it, they'll retain about 10%. But if they can actually visualize it, then it goes up to 20%. And uh, that's a big jump right? So being able to visualize something, see a picture of it, maybe a video, and then seeing a demonstration of how it works applied in everyday life, that will take us up to 30%. But actually having the opportunity to communicate with others, to discuss about the subject. And this is why providing spaces for your children to speak to peers about what they're learning is important. Because that a group discussion, it doesn't mean that if they don't discuss it with you, they're not going to learn. That's, that's great if they discuss it with you and if you have time to do discussion. But peer group discussion is different because it's working at the level, uh, intellectual level of those children for those, that particular age. And they push each other to think critically about the subject, but with their own language. And this is really important, and that really takes retention to 50%. Now, if on top of that, you give them practice, and I'm not talking about writing your name 50 times, I'm talking about actual using your hands to to practice and apply what you have learned, the retention goes up 75%. And then the last one is teaching somebody else what you know. And that's why teachers retain so much information because they're teaching on what they know all day long, right? And so it helps us retain so much more information than if we just read about it or maybe heard a podcast about it. And so being able to to teach and share with somebody else what you have learned in an experience of hoping that they will also retain and acquire this information is awesome. And so that gives you about 90% of retention. You'll never be 100% of retention on everything that you learn because your brain is selective and, and loves to choose what it wants to learn. 
And so there'll be some things well, that you'll remember very well. There'll, there'll be some things that you don't. But if you incorporate each one of these to your lessons, then at least you're making sure that you're giving the child the opportunity, you're giving the brain the opportunity to decide whether it's going to retain that information, whether that information is important enough to keep. And so um, that's just a little very basic overview of the pyramid. But I remember when we first started transitioning in the school I was directing from a very, very traditional teacher-centered lecture, centered lecture and reading were the basics for everything we were doing. And I'm, I'm talking about 20 years ago. Um, I remember when we first started transitioning away from that and trying to figure out how to incorporate more things into our lessons that would help us um, allow our students to have all of the tools they needed to retain the information. And let me tell you, Carmen, it was hard. It was hard because we were just so used to like prepare my lesson, give them the worksheet, have them do the reading, work on reading comprehension questions and, you know, everything on this piece of paper. And for us, it was like, at when are we going to have the time to be able to incorporate all of these other, you know, group discussions and practices and demonstrations and experimentation and, and then actually having the kids get up and teach on a subject. We're like, when are we going to be able to do that? There's no time. And it was hard. We had to be very intentional. It just came to a point where we said, we're just going to do it. And the teachers worked really hard in planning their, their lessons. And the reality is that the TAC method really developed on how can I make this easier on my teachers and how can we figure out a way to incorporate all of this into very easy lessons to follow that are not super stressing out our teachers. So if you're a parent and you're listening to this today and you're thinking, how would I ever be able to put all of this together? Let me tell you, you can. It's not as complicated as it seems, and it really can be done in very intentional everyday interactions. And in our next podcast, we're going to be talking about the pillars of learning, and we're going to be giving more examples on how you incorporate these um, these elements of passive learning and active learning uh, with your kitties. But I really want to pass the microphone on to Carmen because this is her space, and I know that she has a lot of things to teach us about it. So I think I'll start with a little name dropping. Uh, when we, as educators, when we think about what's effective for student learning and especially retention and what is not, there is a researcher, his name is John Hattie. He's Australian. His book, Visible Learning, was first published in 2009. And you know, because we're talking about the brain, learning and a lot of times teaching 
is such a complex process and all of the decisions and all of the techniques and all of the thought processes are not visible to the layman's eye necessarily. Mm. So his goal was to do a meta study, which is a study of multiple studies on what is effective so that teachers would be able to make decisions about where am I going to spend my time? You know, once we take out our recess times and our lunch times and our uh, specials, you know, if your school is lucky enough to have an art teacher and music teacher and all of that, here's the time I have to mm-hmm. accomplish ideally a year's worth of growth, if not more. So again, this is in 2009. We're now in 2023. We're almost, you know, uh, things are happening like we talked about in brain research. And so John Hattie, actually now there's this big institution that keeps all of this meta research up to date. Mm-hmm. So he has a scale and mm-hmm. on his scale, if something is 0.4 effective, it means that it will yield one year of academic growth in one calendar school year. So anything above 0.4 that a teacher can do will get, you know, will to varying degrees on this scale yield in the student sometimes up to almost four years worth of growth in a, in an academic school year, which is really good news for kids who need to be caught up and also shows the potential for kids to accelerate in the right circumstances. Mm. So you talked about traditional methods and the transition. So I think I'm going to start backwards and talk about things that really don't have a big effect size. If Mm -hmm. 0.4 means what you would expect a year of academic growth in a school calendar year. Listen to this. Homework has an effect size of 0.29. That is, that's not, we're a little over halfway to 0.4, but it's not effective and badly designed homework can actually be detrimental. Having one-to-one laptops in the classroom has an effect size of 0.2. Web-based learning has an effect size anywhere from 0 to 0.2. Teacher knowledge of subject matter, as I touched on, Mm -hmm. has an effect size of 0.09. It really doesn't matter how well you know the subject. For me, it would when it comes to anything above fourth grade math. (laughs) For me, it would. (laughs) Immediately, I would go and find a colleague, okay? For my husband, Mm. he can teach anything. If you told him the day, you know, if you gave him 24 hours notice, hey, I'm pulling you from your English classroom and I'm putting you in a geometry classroom, you'd say game on and he would study all night, he would be ready. 
Yes. So, so it's more about the art and science of teaching and learning than it is about being an expert, which is really great news for parents. Um, Teaching test taking skills has an effect size of 0.27. A lot of times in homeschooling programs, we're working through these workbooks to take a culminating test or we're working on on really traditional test taking type formats. Um, Programmed instruction, which is working your way through a program has an effect size of 0.23. So these are all really not even hitting the 0.4. Now I'm gonna take you to the bottom of the pyramid, which is doing and being able to teach others. And on in Hattie's scale, he calls this thing Piagetian programs. So Jean Piaget <laughs> is the father of child cognitive development. And, and what Piagetian programs means is active, hands-on, hmm. experiential, developmentally appropriate learning experiences. If you approach your classroom instruction, wherever your classroom may be, in that way, the effect size is 1.28. That is equal to 3.2 years of academic growth for a child in one calendar school year. It can change everything, but that's not the most powerful one. The most powerful factor is something called collective teacher efficacy. And that means that a group of teachers work together believing in all their hearts that they are going to make a difference. And that has an effect size of 1.57, which is equal to about four years of academic growth in a traditional calendar school year. And this is why we are all about collaboration at Home Educator Institute. And this is why we are here to collaborate with you. This is why we are here to encourage you and build your faith in yourself that with your tribe, Mm -hmm. you can do this and you can make a difference. And together between Rita and I, it's kind of scary to say this, (laughs) It shocks me every time. Yeah. We have 67 years of collective experience in education. We have done things wrong and we have done things right. And we have surprised ourselves and students have amazed us. And we have jumped off cliffs and we have 
been afraid to try something new and regretted waiting so long. We have been there, done that, seen that. Mm. And this is what we are offering to our community is our ability to assess the meta studies and make sense of it. What does John Hattie have to do with what I'm doing at home? Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you, right? So you were saying, and I agree, this all sounds very tea tree, but it's not that complicated. I'm going to give you an example that just happened a few days ago. <laughs> if you listened to our Christmas episode, I announced to the world that I was going to jump off a cliff and allow my youngest to live out his fantasy of being the complete head chef, yes chef, boss in the kitchen. And uh, Rita sent us some really nice baking ware because he just wanted, he just wants to bake cookies and bake unfettered from, you know, his pestering mother who doesn't really like baking <laughs> and likes the cleanup way less. He embarked. He took it easy on me. He, he wanted to do chocolate chip cookies first. I was so relieved. <laughs> but we had this whole experience. And you, he's a teen. We already know lecture does. I don't even know why there's even any room at the pyramid at all for lecture. It is so ineffective. They don't want to hear it, but I did have to lecture a little bit, you know, like here's where the, here's how the oven works. You know, (laughs) this is, this is called parchment paper, you know, just basics, but everything was there. So there was a little bit of demonstration involved, but we did go through every step. There were things I had to show him. I didn't think I was going to have to show a teenager what I meant when I said, tear out two sheets of parchment paper that measure about the same as each cookie sheet. He had no idea what I was saying because he has auditory processing disorder. But And I'm just here (laughs) blabbing away. That was my lecture that was totally ineffective. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to demonstration. Then I made him do it because my goal is at any moment, he can just say, hey, mom, I I think feel like baking a cake. Are you okay with that? Is the kitchen open? And I can just say, yeah. And I'm not involved at all. And we're going to get there really quickly because yes, I know I can judge when to let go and, and when he needs more support. And I know the things to say to let him know. You can tell me I need help at this point or I don't need help. And it was an interesting experience because I learned he does not know how to read a fraction in a recipe. So after having to measure that, I can tell you his understanding of fractions greatly increased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's just amazing how they're own understanding of things. I mean, like you can see it in their face when that transformation is taking place. And I think one of the things that I enjoy 
the most about this season that I'm living in my life right now is being able to observe my grandchildren learning with greater understanding. When my children were young, I was about the lecture, right? It was about sit there and listen to what I have to say. And, you know, I evolved as they grew, but I, I feel that I didn't really get it until they were already in their late teens. Uh, and so with the grandkids now, with this greater understanding experience, I, I'm just enjoying seeing what each of them really enjoys in the learning process. Because not every child is going to be excited about the demonstration. Right? So it just depends on, on the child. A hundred percent, it depends on their strengths, on what their learning styles are, what they really enjoy doing, which part of the pyramid they're going to want to spend more time in. And each one of my grandkids is so different, has different personalities, different strengths, different ideas. And, but because we've been able to work with them from a very young age, taking into consideration these steps and and making sure that they get enough of a demonstration and enough of an opportunity to experiment without feeling that if they spill the water or if they make a mess that it's going to be chaos right when we just focused on on lecture way back when if you spilled the water you got scolded and and today i hope that we've gotten beyond that. It's okay to spill the water because it's part of the experiment. It's part of making the mistake. It's part of learning um, in an environment where it's research-based because researchers make mistakes all the time. And that's as much important in the collection of data, the mistakes and the errors, than you know, what turned out exactly. Like, I think we've all heard the story of Edison and, and trying to figure out the incandescent light bulb and the 200 and some ways that he messed up. And, and you know, we've heard that say, well, that was 200 ways that it didn't work. And so he didn't have to waste more time trying those and finally found what was going to work. Well, it's the same with our kids today as we allow them to go deep into experimentation, into trying things out without having the fear of the repercussion of getting scolded or or being put in the yucky corner because you messed up. And I think that's one of the things that as parents and as teachers, we've matured so much mm-hmm. in the last years is being okay with the mistakes, being okay with not getting every single Thing right, and you touched on traditional testing, for example, and deciding as a teacher or as a program that there's only one answer to this particular, pro, uh, you know, uh, problem. And well, it actually turns out that there's different ways of getting to that answer, or there's different activities that we can do to better understand what the problem is, and even getting to the point of saying. Uh, who cares if we don't have an answer, right? I mean, that's scary sometimes <laughs> for a teacher to say it's it's okay if we don't if we don't agree if we don't all agree on an answer if we don't even get to it if the process of learning gave us such 
rich and beautiful information. And I'm able to interact with my grandchildren at this level today. And I enjoy it so much. And I see them walk in confidence in their learning. And um, I was talking to one of my granddaughters the other day, and she's like, oh, I already know all of that. I don't, you know, I, I, I know how to, how to do that. I don't need anybody to teach me how to do that. And being able to say as the adult, oh, well, why don't you teach me? Because you know what? I actually don't know how to do it very well. And putting them a little bit on the, you know, testing side of now you have to teach me. And they walk so confidently into those spaces. Like, yes, I I can teach you. And they're making all sorts of mistakes and we're laughing behind their backs a little bit. But it's exciting to see that they are building those mental structures that gives, gives them those strengths to be able to take control and be responsible for their own learning. And taking a little bit of that pressure away from the teacher, the person that's doing the teaching, and putting the responsibility of the learning on the child, that is also scary for control freaks, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But amazing to see the transformation in a child's brain when they are allowed to do this, these experimentations. And I want to encourage you as a home educator, if you're thinking about home educating, decide not to do it in isolation from day one. Decide not to make your house your little schoolhouse and keeping it in. And, and even if you're choosing If you're going to be choosing a co-op or you're going to be choosing some external programs for your children, try and incorporate spaces where they can have opportunities for peer discussion around the learning. So don't take them to another place where they're just going to receive another class, is, is what I'm asking you to do, is put them in situations where there'll be intentional sharing of information and discussion about the things that are being learned in different classrooms, in different homes, wherever they are, they can come together. I don't know of too many places there are, but I know they're starting to pop up because the need is there. And it's not just about playing sports together. It's not just about, you know, another extra art class. It's being intentional about incorporating the peer group discussions, and then having opportunities to teach others what you know. I shared the experience about my learning how to tell the Jesus story to little three-year-olds when I was eight. Well, guess what? Your eight-year-old can actually teach your three-year-old to do a lot of things. And watching that and giving them that opportunity and giving them that space, you'll be surprised of the amount of learning your three-year-old can do just by spending time with your eight-year-old. And, and it's amazing to see. I see it with my two granddaughters um, there's, that are siblings. Ray is almost eight years old and Valentina is three. and. Most of the learning Valentina has done in the last three years of her life has been by observing and playing and conversing and having time with her sister. 
And this is amazing. It's great. It's beautiful to see. And I just want to encourage you that even though these seems, things seem hard, that Home Educator Institute is here. Carmen and I are here for you. And we're, we're really excited about helping you establish a program or a system. I like to call it more of a system because the program is what you were saying, right? Following like page one, page two, page three, but creating a system of learning in your home. And even if you decide to continue sending your children to, to a traditional school or to a public school, or, and you can apply these same principles to the rearing part of your home education. It, it's the same. It, it's t it takes the same skills to teach them responsibility, to teach them how to do their bed, to teach them how to tie their shoes, to teach them how to be polite with other people, to teach them gratitude, to build character in them. It takes the same skills. The brain uses the same, the, the same cells to learn one thing or math, you know, <laughs> discipline and responsibility and character than learning how to read. And so you can apply these things um, as well to just your parenting. And you're going to see incredible results as you apply these techniques. And yeah, you want to say anything to close, Carmen? Well, just buckle up, I think, <laughs> is what I want to say. <laughs> because we have a lot, so much to share and, and we're both really excited about the things that are coming up. I promised myself I would only drop one name today, uh, but as we start building our foundation um, for parents as teachers and um, sharing our knowledge around met methodology with you, you'll you'll hear more names and little uh, tidbits of reading that I'll share. Join our Educate to Elevate group on Facebook because we'll start embarking on learning adventures and be able to go a little bit deeper there. And um, yeah, buckle up. Yay. Yes. And join us next time as we start talking about the columns of teaching and learning and excited for that conversation as well. So thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining the conversation. Please comment, like, and share if you're as passionate as us when it comes to elevating and educating children and youth. Want to reach us? Connect on social at Home Educator Institute.